Good afternoon. It's Friday, July 15th, and this is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. And it's my pleasure to introduce the author of The 24-Hour Customer. Uh, Adrian Ott has written a book about new rules for winning in a time-starved and always-connected economy. Adrian, welcome. Chickie, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. You know, Adrian, on the front cover of, of your book, actually on the, the flyleaf, it says, time is not money, time is more important than money. And, you know, that is just so, so true in my life. And uh, one of the things that uh, I'd like you to start off with is, who did you write this book for? That's a great question, Chicky. And um, one of the things I realized uh, and before I took Adrian, this book... Adrian, can I just stop you for a second? You are cutting in and out. Um, are you on oh. a headset? I am on a headset, but normally I don't cut in and out. Yeah, I don't huh. know why. Uh, I don't, are you hearing me that way? I'm hearing you perfectly. Okay, well, you're cutting in and out pretty substantially. How about if you uh, just uh, hang up and call back in? Sometimes it's sure. I'll, I'll just dial back in. We must have a bad line. Okay, Sorry and then I'll, I'll just stop the recording and we can start that uh, all okay. over again. Sorry about on. that. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I'd rather have it be good quality. Yeah, okay, I'll Good afternoon. It's Chickie Fitzgerald. It's Friday, July 15th, and this is the Executive Girlfriends Group Call. And today we are interviewing the author of The 24-Hour Customer, Adrian Ott. And the book is about new rules for winning in a time-starved, always-connected economy. Good afternoon, Adrian. Thank you, Chickie. It's nice to be here. Great. Adrian, can you give us a little bit of your background before we dive into talking about the book? Sure. Um, I am based here in the Silicon Valley. I've been involved with a number of tech companies. I started at Hewlett Packard, worked there for 15 years as an executive on various products, services, and programs. Then uh, moved on to start my own company, uh, which was uh, or is Exponential Edge. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary this year, and um, I, I work with a number of uh, companies, uh, both here in the Silicon Valley and elsewhere, to help uh, guide their company and grow their company, uh, particularly work on things like go-to-market strategies as well as concept development uh, and where to target new opportunities. The um, so I, I work here in the Valley, uh, but also work with other clients, both large and small. I'm also a mother of two uh, very busy teenagers. And, of course, as you know, I'm author of The 24-Hour Customer. Great. And, Adrian, I hate to do this to you, but I think we're going to have to take you off headset because it's um – I think the quality just isn't isn't going to be there, and I, I know it's awful to yeah, have to hold the handset. Strange. Is that better? Yes, it's much better. Oh, I wonder what's going on with my headset. I was on a radio show this morning, and it, <laughs> it was working fine. But some, oh well, it's Friday afternoon. It is. It is. We just want the the best possible experience for our listeners, so I appreciate you doing that for me. Well, let's dive in and talk about what it was that actually made you write this book. I, I I'm always fascinated by that story, so that's where I like to start. 
Well, as I mentioned, I'm a busy Silicon Valley consultant and mother and author, and I realized the time was factoring into so many of my decisions. It really was driving how I would buy new products, new services, uh, and, and even how I would And so uh, what I realized was that um, – I think now we've got – I put her on mute. Keep going. Um, so I realized that um, that uh, time was factoring into so many decisions, yet uh, when I was working with my clients, there were a lot of books and a lot of information out there about personal time management, but there really wasn't much out there that was structured on how do you deal with the fact that your customers are time-starved and always connected? And what what should you do differently? And so that really is what my book focuses on, is measurable and actionable uh, things that you can do to really think about uh, the way your customers approach time. So you start the book off talking about so many products, so little time. Give us a little background on on your perspective there. When when you're talking about products, are you talking about the products of your clients or or yourself? Um, what I'm talking about in terms of products is products and services. So we went and looked at uh, trademarks, for example, over the past uh, 40 years. And we use that as a proxy. And, and actually, just go to any grocery store today, and you'll realize that there is just a proliferation of products out there. I mean, try to find a toothpaste these days. And it's just next to right. impossible just to find the old toothpaste that you're trying to buy. So we've had this proliferation of products. Uh, products have also expanded because we've gone global, so people are selling things over the Internet. And so with that proliferation of products, what I realized in looking at U.S. market uh, labor data uh, from the U.S. Uh, labor department is that the time that people spend shopping hasn't changed in 40 years. So we've had this growth in products and services, yet this fixed constraint of time, it's about 28 minutes a day that people spend shopping. That's it. That's less than 3% of waking hours. And so this is actually putting a lot of pressure, and this is why so many businesses feel so constrained trying to reach the consumer right. because we're trying to stuff all these products and services down into the same amount of time that people spend in the 1960s. So, you know, as we talk about time, I, I'm really fascinated with this this concept of the money value of time. Um, and uh, I don't remember whether I said this again when, once we restarted the recording, but I want to say it one more time uh, at any rate, is on the flyleaf for the book, you say time is not money, which is what the old adage has always been. Time is actually more important than money. So so help us put that in perspective of, of how we look both at our own time and that of our customers. Well, we really are making what I call time value trade-offs when we – approach any kind of decision. So say, for example, Chicky, I was to invite you to, to a meeting. One of the first things that would go into your mind would be, is this worth my time? You'd start to ask, you know, who's going to be there? What's going to be on the agenda? What are we going to accomplish? And similarly, we are 
making these time value trade-offs all the time when it has to do not just with with uh, non-monetary aspects like meetings, but we're doing it also when we're buying products and services. And so the time value trade-off asks, is the value of what I'm buying greater than the price that I'm paying plus the investment I'm going to make in terms of time? So is it, right. are there going to be switching costs associated with it? And that's something that a lot of businesses don't think about very much. Well, I tell you, uh, a lot of our members are part of the travel industry, you know, in in some way, shape, or form. And I think about this all the time when I think about how our products for our industry have gotten so commoditized. But an airline ticket is a great example of this where Mm -hmm. you can now, you know, information is so prevalent on purchasing airline tickets. But now you can actually find uh, a flight where you save $100, but now you've flown 14 hours to get from Tampa to New York. And, mm-hmm. you know, so the time value of money, people don't think about that when they're thinking about saving $100 on a ticket, but taking, you know, kind of a day and a half of their time to do what used to take three hours if you flew nonstop. Yeah, and those those are the things that factor in. I mean, obviously, if you're a business traveler, you might approach that a little bit differently, too, because you might, might say, I'm not willing to uh, take uh, 10 hours to fly when I can get there in you know, four or five hours. Right. Um, and, so, you know, I so, think people think about that, but their companies don't always think about uh, the productivity of their people in that same way. Oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, by the way, one of the other things I wanted to mention to you, you know how I mentioned how people spend on average about 28 minutes a day shopping and researching mm-hmm. products and services, and that includes travel products and services. Right. Um, if you're online, if you're doing online commerce, it's less than six minutes a day. So if you have a website, you're effectively competing with the world for six minutes average of attention. Right. So as we take a look at at the customer time value um, and look at uh, innovation as, as it relates to both the tools and the strategies that people use to manage their time, can you give us some examples of, of things that you have observed in companies of, of you know problems that they've had and, and challenges that you've helped them uh, master in, in taking a look at time and value differently? Sure, sure. I think um, a couple of ways to do that is to start thinking of your offering in different time dimensions. Uh, a good example is if you think of what Amazon did with their Kindle product you know they were they were also battling for 6 minutes of e-commerce time a day and now what they've done with their Kindle offering is they're a constant companion with their customers now so people have the Kindles with them and so they're participating with them in the uh consumption process of the books as opposed to just selling them the books right. and so what this is doing for them is it's enabling them to track how much are their customers reading, what are they liking, and it will provide opportunities for them to provide additional offers to them going forward that um, you know probably can't be conceived of today, but once you start tracking the behavior of the customer through the online means of the Kindle, you can start to think about new ways. So so that's what one way where you're you're inserting yourself into the consumption process. So if you think about the travel industry, it, can you do more than just the, the 
as you mentioned, the commoditized piece of selling them the uh, the ticket, maybe there's something in the consumption process having to do with travel because everybody loves to travel. Well, except on business sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> but but in terms of vacation, that is really something where you know that's a time magnet. People love you know people love to go on vacation and they love to travel. Oh, yeah. And is there a way that you can participate in that consumption process? similar to Amazon and how they compete in the reading process, um, is there a way in the travel process, maybe through some kind of web-enabled kind of application, that really enables you to to be with them and partner right. with them? And those things those things are valuable to customers, and, th- and it also gives you more opportunities to to sell back to them. Well, and the Amazon uh, example is such a good one because it it also shows this whole trend toward instant gratification, which you know they <laughs> yeah. have clearly capitalized on. Because you know you talk in the book about purchasing cycles evolving, and you know when when you look at physical products and and you know I, I, over the weekend we were remodeling or redecorating my my son's bedroom and he was only gone for four days for camp and we wanted to surprise him when he came home. And I was just amazed at my own responses when I went in to try to purchase something. And it let me do the purchase on Saturday, but on Monday morning told me that they were out of stock. And and I was absolutely appalled. But then I realized it's that instant gratification that I thought I had everything resolved, and now I had to go out shopping again. And and then only had, you know, less than 48 hours to get everything done. So how, how has that changed you know this whole instant gratification uh so on top of being time starved we all also want everything right now we want everything right now yeah so i think um, one of the things that you need to do is really look at the offering that you have and there's i have a grid in the book um, a four quadrant chart that i i share in the book and effectively people break down their experience with certain uh, products or services based on these four quadrants. So there are things that are what people consider time magnets. These are the things we like to do. And so, for example, going on a trip somewhere, if it's on vacation, those are things we like to do. I would love right. to spend more time doing that. Um, so we're going to tend to be want to spend time on that, sometimes even some, for some people, planning the vacation is as fun as going on the vacations, for some people, right. um, but even going on the vacation. So so that presents an opportunity uh, to become a time magnet where you can pull people in. And, and folks like Facebook, they like the social time. They, they've pulled people in because they know they're a time magnet. So they make money based on getting more time with the customer. So that's one of the quadrants. Another and, you know, I saw today that social media now is taking up 16% of all yes. time spent online. It's yes. just amazing, coming yeah, out of so nowhere. We, we, we want to we share things with our friends, and I would think actually travel is one of those that um, play, could play very well into a time magnet kind of uh, – uh, I'm, I'm meaning leisure travel. I'm not meaning <laughs> work right, travel might right. be a little bit different, but but leisure travel fits very well into that. And um, 
and so you can you can create communities, you can create you can you can pull people in based on that. Now, um, one of the other quadrants uh, that I talk about in the book is time saving. These are things where we really just we we're attracted because we want to save time. And um, a good example of an offering in that quadrant is FedEx. We just remember those ads. Uh, I don't know if you remember them. It was uh, when it's got to be there overnight. Yes. And you really wanted that done in the shortest period of time. So there's a certain things that drive that. In that case, it was procrastination. People mm-hmm. realized that they had to get that the report to their boss or they were going to lose their job. So there may be some situations in the travel industry where there are procrastination issues. They have to get somewhere right. quickly. Um, so there might be some opportunities in that uh, from that standpoint as to where people might want to uh, engage. Um, well, and, you and know, I, I, again, I think the airlines have uh, not only capitalized on that, but they have actually uh, exploited us without our knowledge that we, we pay so much for that convenience of if you procrastinate in making a yeah. reservation. Uh, yeah. The same exact seat that somebody paid $200 for six months ago you know, can now cost $1,200. And yeah. so, uh, again, in that timographics framework of, of convenience and value and motivation and habit, um, you know, the whole uh, issue of the propensity to spend time and then to allocate your attention to those things is uh, one of my favorite frameworks from your book. Um, but as you look at these other quadrants, you, you talk about uh, habit and, and the role that habit plays. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, habit is one of the uh, four quadrants, and that is really where we're actually spending a lot of time with it, but we don't realize we are because we're not paying much attention to it. According to psychologists, people spend about half of their day in habits. You know, if you think about when you get up in the morning and brush your teeth, you're probably not thinking about every step that you're taking in your morning routine, but we go through these routines every day. Um, the power in this from a marketer's perspective is if you can embed yourself into your customer's habit, you're going to have a very powerful position. And there's two ways you can embed yourself. The first way is through um, habits, you know, like I mentioned, getting embedded into your morning routine. As people have said that the uh, toothpaste industry has embedded themselves into the, into the customer by by brushing teeth because 100 years ago people didn't brush their teeth. So they created that habit for the consumer. However, if you look today, um, there's some other opportunities that we can create with systems that create habits. So uh, we may have certain default um, sign-ons to certain accounts or there are certain routines, and we just don't really want to change and move because we've set ourselves up with certain systems. A um, good example of a systematic habit is your bank. Mm-hmm. We, Many people don't want to change banks, and this is where we get into the time value trade-off because most people would uh, are staying with their banks not because they're necessarily the least costly option. They're staying because the time value trade-off of changing is just too great. They don't. It's just too much time and hassle to change their bank. And so 
what they've done is they've embedded themselves into the consumer's day, and it's and people would rather spend time with their kids, or they'd rather uh, go on Facebook, or right, um, you know, do or go to work than spend time switching banks. And so, habit-related offerings really create a really unique competitive advantage because people don't think about them. Right. And and so then as you move to the other part of the quadrant uh, that, that sits above that, which is motivation, talk right. to us a little bit about that. Right. The the motivation quadrant is what I what I consider time magnets as I as I discussed previously. Mm-hmm. Um another another good example that falls into the time magnet quadrant, you know, as I mentioned, these are things we like to do and we're drawn to our hobbies, our friends, so, social and status type of triggers. And I've got um I could actually post if you're interested um a five triggers article that I've written for Fast Company that talks about these triggers that drive us and make products addicting. These these are when you can be addictive to your customers. Facebook fits squarely into that quadrant. Um, but another example is Nike. Uh, Nike, with their Nike Plus offering, basically turned themselves from a transactional shoe purchase to basically becoming a hub for runners through their Nike Plus runners community and because they tapped into the fact that there are a certain uh, number of people that want to make their running a social experience and and want to uh, go in there and they want to track how they're doing. And so there's also personal goals associated with that, but there's also social goals associated with that. And so they have effectively turned their relationship with customers. You know, you talked about the travel industry being very focused on um, the price right now, but the fact that you've got this opportunity in the consumption side of travel, where especially on the leisure um, side of travel, where people want to do things. And so there might be some opportunities there through either um, personal goals or social goals that uh, could uh, become a time magnet right. for customers in that space. Adrian, can you um, think of, of some examples of service-oriented businesses? And I realize that travel is a service-oriented business, but we've got a, an awful lot of members uh, within the Executive Girlfriends Group who are, are consultants or coaches or you know businesses where there isn't a tangible product, uh, but it's a service delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think there's quite a few out there um, in the – Convenience space, for example, um, um, Voice to Insight is, is a service that enables busy executives to record um, what they learned at their last meeting. They get up, they pick up their phone because a lot of times people leave meetings and they forget what happens. And by the time they sit down to actually right. t- take action on it, they forgot by the end of the day. So Voice to Insight recognized that and they created a service where. Effectively, you can get on your cell phone or a sales rep can get on their cell phone right after their meeting and just record what happened. And they have a whole concierge service behind the scenes that will send thank you letters and update the CRM system and will um, start action items behind the scenes. So that's, that's an example of a service where somebody envisioned a need for time saving. Very so cool. that would fit into that would that would fit into the uh, time saver quadrant. I like that one. 
<laughs> I, could, I, I could have used that uh, a couple of weeks ago. I got back. I'm still. I still haven't written up my meeting notes. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty handy service. Um, the other thing to think about too is um, there's different elements of time. You can change the form factor of your services, which is a lot easier to do that with services than it is with products. Good example of that is time slicing and time shifting. Uh, the example that you gave me that a lot of people dial into these calls and and listen to them later versus maybe attending in person, they time shift right. it. So that's an example of ways you can innovate what you're doing. Another example is time slicing. And um, if you think about uh, what Twitter did, are you familiar with Twitter? Oh, yeah. All 140 characters of it. <laughs> right. Um, you know, basically what they did is they took blogging and, and time-sliced it into 140 characters because a lot of people don't have a lot of time to write long blogs, but they can get in and write a sentence or two about what's right. going on. And what's interesting about that is it didn't just break it into smaller pieces. As you know, Twitter's become its own kind of environment and culture based right. on breaking it that way. Um, but another service that's related to time slicing that I think is really cool from a, uh, a services perspective, there's a company called Spark.org in San Francisco that created an online platform for people that want to volunteer but can't give a lot of time. So a lot of times people can't sign up to be the coordinator of the PTA function that's going to happen, but they're willing to they're willing to give time slices here and there. So what they did is they created a platform for people who may, even at their desk, want to give advice on design or IT or whatever to start uh, to uh, charities and give their time and expand the number of people who could volunteer and help. Wow. That's a great idea. I, I was just yeah. thinking about a, a service that, that I spend a lot of time with. It, it's not on, on the charity side, but um, I do a lot of uh, investment consulting with the investment community, but it's all aggregated through a group called Gerson Lehman Group in New York, and I've been with them for 10 years, and I get paid by the hour you know, to spend time on the phone with the investment community. And, you know, I've always wished that as a consultant I could get clients interested in paying, you know, for just an hour of my consulting time on the phone because, you know, mm -hmm. we, we've talked a lot about travel and, and how, uh, you know, actually getting on planes isn't a lot of fun anymore. But, you know, there is an awful lot that could be packed into a one-hour, uh, you know, consulting uh, time slice. So, uh, but I love, I love the idea of Spark.org. I'm going to have to take an, a look at that. Yeah, I think I, I, what, what fascinates me about time slicing specifically is when you start thinking that way. I, I mean, look at Zipcar, what Zipcar has done in terms oh, of time sharing mm -hmm. even. Yes. You know, your time sharing, the offering, the service. They, they took a product and turned it into a service. So um, you would ask for some service examples, and this is one where they actually were able to take the product and uh, turn it into a service. But the other example um, – or the the benefit of being in a service business is you can make these changes relatively easily. Right. Exactly. And and it's so funny you you bring up Zipcar because I got a a um, note from a former colleague uh, 
just yesterday about uh, a company that he joined, but they they are continually trying to take the private aircraft industry and and time slice with that. But mm-hmm. you know, it's a great idea that I can fly on a private jet and and not have to own the jet, not have to worry about servicing, but it still costs nine thousand dollars, <laughs> you know, to fly from Miami from Miami to Chicago. So they they haven't quite got the economics of that down. So they've got the time side, but not the business model. Yeah, well, it's not going to work for everything, but um, it is a good exercise to run your business through and start to think about time slicing, time shifting, time sharing, and and um, some of these other elements because you may find that um, you can disrupt your industry. And so what do you see as the future uh, for this time-starved customer? I mean, it's not getting any better. I mean, all of us remember the promise that computers were going to simplify our life. And if anything, uh, you know, it's just complicated it. And, and the more devices we have in our household, I mean, we've got three iPads. And, you know, frequently we'll see, you know, my daughter on hers, you know, sitting and watching TV and listening to music and playing mm-hmm. a game and, you know, just so much uh, just pulling us away from, you know, just humanity. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, this is something actually I'm starting to work toward as I move toward my next book is on the whole idea of how we are becoming a society where we want the quick answer because we are so time-starved. And so we're starting to see an emergence of – perhaps you've heard about these clout social scores that are coming out and we're starting to see scores for this and ratings and reviews and and things and what's happening is we're moving um or we don't just seek instant gratification as you talked about earlier chicky we're right. looking for what i call instant gratification and we want to grade we want that grade we want to know it's five star we want to know um, our friends think like it, and we want that social score to know. Uh, we want, you know, so we don't want to necessarily go in and analyze all the data. We just don't have the time to right. analyze all the data behind it. We just want the net net, and this has some positive benefits in the sense that a lot of the analytics and um, IT that's coming out right now um, is is helping us with being able to develop some of these scores and and, uh, cope with the proliferation of data that's happening right now. But the challenge of it is sometimes these things can be manipulated and people, people, it's like drive-through data. We want to drive through, we want to order, you know, our five-star review and, you know, we want to look at it, but we don't necessarily want to go inside and understand what's in, you know, what's in that five-star review. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because we I was uh, on on the phone earlier with my partners in this uh wine TV venture. And when we first started talking about these videos, you know, I was envisioning these 30-minute shows, you know, like sitting down and watching HGTV but having somebody come in and, you know, remodel their wine cellar and, you know, but in fact, we're looking at distributing these videos in Korea on cell phones, right? So oh, that while they're <laughs> No, no. And and the market in China, it's, you know, like they want to be able to, you know, when they're on public transit, to be able, you know, in three or five minutes to watch something. Or, 
you know, picturing somebody standing at the grocery store and trying to figure out what wine they want to purchase, and they want to be able to watch a one- or two-minute video on a particular grape or on a particular region. And so the consumption model is is just changing so much. And, and you know, I, I think what we're doing is developing this whole culture of uh, ADD, you know, where people can't focus on anything longer than yeah. a couple of minutes. Um, we're a snacking but, culture. Yes, and and what yes. you're describing, actually, Chicky, are great examples of time slicing. Yes. Because you're taking what was previously larger content and you're breaking those into small pieces. Definitely, definitely. And, and yeah, again, I think that YouTube has done that for us, too. When, when they originally put a restriction on how long a YouTube video could be, in, in the early stages, you saw people posting part one, part two, part three, you know, but nobody ever got past part one. And so mm-hmm. they started realizing that they had to compress, you know, and that three minutes actually can be too long. Uh, you know, we've, we've learned that in our own process of doing uh, promotional videos uh, for the egg calls that, you know, really just one minute is just fine. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so true. I mean, I even know um, when I write my blogs for Fast Company or for Harvard Business Review, um, it's 750 words. Otherwise, you're going to lose people. Right. You know, if you get much beyond that, sometimes you can get a bit, little bit lo- longer in some of the uh, academic journals, but uh, people just don't have the patience to read right. that long anymore. The, you know, you have to you have to serialize it. Definitely. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I am a real fan of Seth Godin, and uh, not only do I like the way he thinks, but I like the fact that he can write, I think, I don't think his titles of his blogs are ever longer than six words, and he must have an internal limit of two or three paragraphs, because he is so absolutely concise in everything he does, but he can tell a very complicated story in a Mm -hmm. short period of time. So, you know, he's, he's one of my heroes on blogging. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and actually, being simple and short like that is very hard. You know, people mm-hmm. think, oh, it's great, you only have to write, you know, 500 words or whatever. It's right. actually hard. I mean, the, the posting I just put up at uh, Harvard Business Review is set around 700 words, 750, but originally when I wrote it, it was 1,100 words, and we had to cut and keep cutting and keep cutting. <laughs> and, you know, really, what are we saying here? And as service providers, it becomes really important to do that. Otherwise, you're going to lose your audience. Right. And now it makes me wonder whether whether Blogger even does a word count, because I, I haven't been paying attention to how long my, <laughs> my blogs are. I need to go back and do that. But, you know, one of the things that occurred to me when you were talking about insinuating yourself into uh, a routine is uh, one of the things I've noticed this week in particular about my own blog is I've been tracking you know the the growth in the number of page views of my blog, which means that uh, and mine isn't a general purpose blog mine's very very specific to travel distribution, so the audience I have is small but it's incredibly targeted. And, you know, it has been growing 600%, I mean, just week wow. after week. And, it, I mean, it's amazing. But wow. I've realized that people have either done, you know, the RSS feed, which is a way to insinuate yourself into someone's day, Absolutely. or they've just made it something that, you know, that they check on a regular basis. And, and mm-hmm. I have been, um, you know, telling my business colleagues that if you want to become known for something, you know, that that writing about it on a regular basis, you know, in small chunks is a really great way to do that. 
Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to, and, and I think it's a great. Sometimes you know people just don't have the time to absorb a big article, but you know if they right. keep coming back. And, and and congratulations to you for growing your base like that. It's just the the attention for content right now is tough. It is. It is. But it's been interesting because Patty and I were talking this morning. And she said, "You're giving away so much for free," and I said, "Well, you know, but but a lot of this is not." sales it's brand building and and i think you know we all have to be very very conscious again in this time starved economy um that just making that impression uh and and uh, again from my perspective i'm not trying to sell consulting i'm trying to become the authority uh or or to impress upon others my authority in a given area so uh you know i think we we have a lot of opportunity to to penetrate that time starved mindset and this always connected uh, world, if people will just think it through. And Adrian, you've done just a marvelous job in your book, and and uh, uh, specifically because you know people are time starved, you've done a great job at the end of each chapter of putting what you call the two minute takeaways. And so uh, even if you don't have time to read Adrienne's book cover to cover, I mean, we hope you do, but please pick it up. She's got some amazing diagrams uh, in the book that just help you visualize some of these concepts that she's been talking about. And again, uh, the two-minute takeaways at the end of each chapter are uh, just really, really rich with uh, very, very practical information. Adrienne, can you let our listeners know how to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, you can uh, reach me out on Twitter. My handle is at Exponential Edge, which is the name of my company, or you can check me out on my website at 24hourcustomer.com. Okay, terrific. And we will also make sure that your profile on the Executive Girlfriends Group site is updated uh, quite often when our members are listening. That's the first place that they go. Uh, so, again, our guest today was Adrienne Ott. Her book is The 24-Hour Customer. You can purchase the book on the Executive Girlfriends Group book club site. And, Adrian, it has just been a real pleasure. And, like I said, I can't wait to dig into the book from cover to cover. I have just uh, had the time to uh, just... Uh, you know, page through it a bit, but I am excited to get control of not only my own time, but uh, to get my mindset wrapped around that of my own customer. Chicky, thank you for having me. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, with that, I am going to turn off the recorded portion of our call. <laughs> 